This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Morning, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're in a series on 1 Peter today. <clears throat> as Jeff mentioned, we're in chapter 2. We'll be looking closely at verses 4 down through verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. No doubt this, this will be a historic week. No doubt about it. And it is a wonderful week for this text. It's, it's kind to the Lord. He has us here today. This is His Word. And He's given it to us and it has special relevance for all that lies ahead. Nothing's going to surprise Him. He really does know what the weather will be like next Sunday. I don't think Jake does, but I know the Lord does. And as Peter is going to make clear, he is, he is for us. So let's turn our attention now in a special way to this very relevant, these very relevant verses. This is God's Word, inspired, inerrant, infallible, given for us this morning. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you 
are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. May God bless his word. May we come to Jesus and then make him known. I was surprised to learn that our good friend Jake Cronin, who's not here this morning, he's up in Louisville at the Pastors College, but he was here last week. I was surprised to learn that he'd never seen the Indiana Jones movies. Being a quality pastor, I was able to fill him in on how exciting and entertaining these movies are. Early in the days of our church, if you'd have called our church office, no one had been there, and the answering machine had picked up, you would have heard, dun da 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 dun da da I'm sorry, we can't get to the phone today because we're out on a mission. <laughs> the theme music from the Indiana Jones movies was on our answering machine, <laughs> as I painfully remember. They were entertaining movies, and they revealed that even in modern times, we have a fascination with the supernatural. The first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Adolf Hitler believed that if he could get the Ark of the Covenant that we learn about in Scripture, that he would get contact with the power of God, and his armies would be invincible. The end of the movie reveals that it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And they had second movies about the Temple of Doom. It's all about a, a temple that was worshiping a goddess. And they talked about human sacrifices. It was pretty dark. Uh, it can sound like a fairy tale, but once I was in... Guatemala at a Mayan ruin where there actually had been human sacrifices. The third movie was about the cup of Christ and if you drank from the cup you experienced God's healing powers and you had eternal youth but if you chose poorly things didn't go well you were doomed. The point is, is that even in modern times, we have this sense that there is a God. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. What, what can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us in creation, his invisible attributes. We have this sense that there is a God. Everyone does. Some people try to suppress it, but we have this Sense, and it amazes me, even in modern times, we still see this idea of the supernatural. 
and God's power. And temples and religious relics remain popular because we want to come to God all over the world, all, every different culture. We want, to, we want to come to God. But as verses 4 and 5 say, <clears throat> God can only be approached through Jesus Christ. As you come to Him to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. John Piper writes, just think of all the people around the world who know there is a God. Nature declares His glory and their own consciences tell them it must be so. But they don't know how to do anything fully acceptable to this God because they don't know Jesus. They try rituals and disciplines and sacrifices and vows and relics and virtues, but all in vain. Because God says the sacrifices acceptable to Him are acceptable through Jesus Christ. Not through human effort or merit or human achievement, but through Jesus Christ. This is just a great week to be reminded that we have a great treasure through Christ. Fellowship with God. We can draw near to God and we are encouraged by this text today to do so. So let's look at it. Last week we, we were exhorted to holiness when we looked at the first three verses of chapter 2 and our text today is closely connected to those verses and really gives us truth that those exhortations, those commands are based on. So here in verses 4 through 10, Peter is writing about the different destinies that people experience based on how they respond to Jesus. And then he reveals the glory of the church. And so let's begin, number one, by looking at the truth that if you come to Jesus and believe, you will not be disappointed. If you come to Jesus and believe, you will not be disappointed. Verse 4, as you, the readers of the letter, come to him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. They are coming to him. They are continually coming to him. These churches that Peter's writing to, they're coming to the Lord because remember back in verse 3, and as we sang this morning, they have tasted that the Lord is good. And they're coming to Christ for fellowship. They draw near to God. It's actually the same word, that word, as you come to him. It's the same word you read about in Hebrews all the time about drawing near. It's the same word. They're drawing near to God for communion, for fellowship with Him. They've tasted that the Lord is good. Now they long for Him the way a baby longs for milk. And they come to Him without fear, even though God is a consuming fire outside of Christ. They are unafraid to come to him, and they're enjoying a close relationship with the Lord. Peter isn't commanding them, in verse 4, to come to Christ. He's describing what they are doing. 
as you come to Christ repeatedly. This week, we can draw near to God. This week, we can come to God through Jesus Christ. It's the great treasure we have through the gospel. You can go to cable news if you want to, but I'm going to draw near to God through Christ this week. It's a great privilege to come near, especially when you've tasted and seen that He is good. Peter calls Jesus, note, the living stone. The living stone. Maybe we should change our name from Cornerstone to the Living Stone Church of Knoxville. They draw near to the Living Stone. It's the only place in Scripture where Jesus is described as the Living Stone. This is so Peter. It, it seems odd, doesn't it? Because we stones aren't living. They're like the deadest thing there is. So you say stone dead. You don't say stone alive. Stone cold dead. But Peter says this stone is throbbing with life and strength. That's the spiritual reality of this stone. Peter has this thing about the word living. He is just aware Christ is alive. God is the living God. He's already written about the believers, remember back in verse 3, living, uh, chapter 1, living hope. Again in chapter 1, he talked about the living word. When Jesus asked him who he was, Peter said, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as I studied this, I remembered that Jesus had told his disciples, remember he said, it's better for me to depart from you. In other words, it's better for me that I no longer live with you on this earth. It's better for me to depart because when I do, I'm going to send my spirit. And Peter is aware of that. I think he understood that. And Jesus has conquered death. He is alive. And he is available to everyone that trusts him. One commentator, Edmund Clowney, says, Christ is the living stone. Not just because he's a living person, but because he is alive from the dead. God set his cornerstone in place by the resurrection. Living stone. He calls him a stone because of all the, the prophecies in the Old Testament. They talk about this stone, Isaiah did in chapter 28 in Psalm 118. And then Peter adds that he's the living stone. He's got to say it. Yes, he's that stone of those prophecies in the Old Testament. That's the stone. But he's the living stone, the resurrected, risen Lord. He possesses spiritual life. He imparts spiritual life to those who are united to Him by faith. He's stirring that today 
in our midst as a congregation as we prepare for this historic week. I am the living God. He is the living stone. It's central to the gospel. The gospel imparts life. My wife Sherry and I are in the process of selling our house and buying a house. It's, it's been a, an adventure. If you don't know, Knoxville's real estate market right now is bizarre. It's amazing. It's historic. Nobody I've talked to has ever seen anything like it. Plop us down in the middle of it. I'm sure buying and selling is always an adventure, but it seems especially so now. It's been, I would call it, stressful so that I can avoid what the Bible says it is. <laughs> Worry, anxiety, fear. It's been difficult. Yesterday, my friends, Brendan and Jen Jap came by. We celebrated Reformation Day together a bit. We talked about his ongoing battles with cancer and the latest challenges he's facing. It's amazing what this guy faces, and especially, in my opinion, what Jen faces. Brendan is an oak, and Jen is an oak. These guys are oaks, and you may, you may think he's in denial, but he isn't. I was there when he got, I was in the hospital room immediately after he got the diagnosis for fourth stage cancer. He was an oak then, and he is an oak now. He is trusting the Lord. He encourages my faith. And as we were talking, I started telling, asking him to pray for my house buying and selling situation. And he, even as I'm saying it, I'm looking at him like, I, I'm not an oak, Brendan. I'm a Bradford pear, okay? Like when the wind blows, I just fall over dead, okay? So pray for me. I'm thinking about his trials and my trials, and it put them in perspective. But Brendan is right. Jen is right. The Lord is good. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And this young man and this young woman are right to be unmovable in their faith. And the Lord has answered so many prayers. I mean, it's, it's been several years now. He wasn't supposed to live this long. And not only is he alive, he looks healthier than anybody in this room. We can come to the Lord this week and cast our cares to Him. Come as you come to Him. Through Jesus Christ, He provides every need. And the peace of God that passes comprehension guards our hearts and our minds. The word for stone here is very specific. It's Christ is the living stone. It's a reference not to some stone that's just laying out in the field. It's a prepared stone. Christ is prepared. He's qualified. He's perfect. He's the cornerstone. All the prophecies about the Messiah in the, the Old Testament are fulfilled in Him. He's the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen, precious, perfect. They're very different viewpoints, aren't they? So you have humanity, 
those who reject Christ and God. Very different opinions about Jesus. Different views. Very different. He was rejected by men. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. And when 1 Peter was written, the gospel was actively being rejected. These, the recipients of 1 Peter, were being persecuted because they were believers. Just like today. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. Humanity rejecting the living stone. And it's just comforting. He's comforting and encouraging us that it's all part of God's plan. The, the Jewish people rejected him first. They had him cru crucified. And now, in, at the time of 1 Peter, these Christians are being persecuted. It's a, it was a painful reality to them. It's painful to us as we watch more and more opposition to God and His Word and His Gospel happening all around us. And Peter's coming and he's encouraging his readers, including us, all who believe. Jesus is God's chosen and precious cornerstone. You will not be put to shame. It may seem like, you know, and it, because of all the rejection, that in the end you'll regret not rejecting Christ, but it will not be that way. In spite of all the hostility, God's evaluation is the one that matters. That's the judgment that matters. The stone is chosen and precious. Christ is the chosen one. He was selected to be mankind's redeemer. He was selected for God's building purpose, a choice stone, perfect, He's honored, he's prized, he's highly valued. Believer, you should be encouraged in your belief. Look at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, okay? Looking back to the Old Testament, prophetic words about this cornerstone. Behold, I am laying in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a stone. A cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Won't be disappointed. So the honor is for you who believe. Jesus is the stone that determines your destiny. Behold, I'm laying in Zion, Jerusalem, a stone. He placed this stone in Jerusalem where the temple was. There's a hint here. I'm doing a new work. There's a new temple. This is no ordinary stone. It's a special stone. The cornerstone was a large stone. It was visible. It was in the foundation. It wasn't hidden. Everything connected came from that. The whole building was built based on that cornerstone. It's valuable, it's precious, it's costly. That's God's evaluation. Jesus is the only way to God. We all have this sense that there's a God. There's only one way 
to him. It's Jesus Christ. He's the chosen, precious, living stone. No other way. You cannot approach God without Christ. You can't make any acceptable sacrifice to God without Christ. Through him, we know God. We come to God. We experience the presence of God. We taste and see that he is good. Without him, we can't come near to God. He's precious. He's valuable. You can't escape this stone, this unique stone. It determines your destiny. How you react. How you respond to the message about Jesus Christ and his finished work for sinners is the most important thing about you. How are you going to respond to the gospel? Some of you are not Christians. You're watching via live stream. You're here this morning with us. We're so glad you're here. We want to tell you about Jesus. God the Son incarnate. We're going to sing about him at Christmas. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. Through him is forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to God for all those who believe and trust in him. Repent of your sins and believe. You're being called to respond to Christ. How will you respond? Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The honor is for you who believe. You will benefit in this life and in the life to come. You'll never be disappointed. But the second point that, that Peter makes is important. If you reject Jesus, you will be put to shame. You will be disappointed. Verse 7. For those who do not believe, the second part of the verse the stone, this is again quoting the Old Testament, the stone that the builders rejected. These are the, the Jewish leaders that crucified Jesus, a direct reference to them. They were the first ones to reject Christ. They were supposed to know what they were doing. They missed their Messiah. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Exactly the opposite of what they wanted. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For those who don't believe, there's going to be a very different result. Those who refuse to believe the message, they disobey the word. They don't respond in faith to the gospel, the good news about Christ. It includes the builders, the Jewish leaders, all the readers' opponents in 1 Peter. They all reject the gospel but it doesn't stop God's plan, does it? We look back. Consider the history of the church. Consider the advance of the gospel. It's amazing. It's incredibly encouraging. Peter was right. <laughs> they won't be disappointed. There's no explanation for the advance of the gospel. If you legitimately look at church history. There's no explanation except God is powerful and God is good. And he will not fail. You will not be ashamed. You will not be disappointed. 
and this week will be no exception. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Christ, the rejected stone, has become the cornerstone. The very one the builders rejected was placed in a position of honor where he belonged, where they insisted he not be. That's exactly where he is. God's action reversed their action. And now he's a, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He's quoting Isaiah 8. This, this stone has a destructive effect on everyone who rejects him. Opposition doesn't injure the stone. The stone has a devastating impact on those who oppose him. When we reject Christ, we only bring on our own ruin and injury. You can't get away from it. Your unbelief has consequences. You know, recognize Peter doesn't think an encounter with the gospel is a casual thing. It determines your destiny. It's huge in your life. It's a matter of life and death. Come to Christ. They stumble, verse 8, because they disobey the word, the gospel. They don't respond in faith. They willfully disobey. And there are consequences. That's their destiny. If you reject the living stone, you're not going to escape the consequences. You will stumble. Thirdly, Peter points out, as Jeff mentioned, for all who accept Christ together, we become God's treasured possession. This is, Peter has a very high view of the church, and this is the highlight <laughs> in all his writings. He has a very high view of the church. If you accept Christ together, we just celebrated communion. It unites us. The gospel unites us. Christ unites us. And together we become God's treasured possession. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, so he's the living stones, but he makes us living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The result of our coming to him is that we're shaped into living stones for use in a spiritual Building. Christ is the builder. He builds individual Christians into a temple, a spiritual temple. And it's a spiritual temple because it's where the Holy Spirit dwells. First Corinthians 3, do you, and, and that's plural, do you, the whole Corinthian church, do you not know? I just hear the Lord saying to us as a local church, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Peter has in mind all churches everywhere for all time. 
But Paul's speaking to a local church, and all local church churches make up this universal church. And we're part of God's temple and God's spirit. Lord, thank you for being present today. God lays his stone, Jesus Christ, in Zion, and men reject it. They crucify him, but God chose this stone. And this stone is precious, and God raises him from the dead. He is the ever-living stone, and he's given the highest honor. He's the cornerstone, and God's purpose is to gather a people who would be alive spiritually too. Like the resurrected, resurrected Jesus, God causes us to be born again, made spiritually alive. He fills us with His Holy Spirit. And we come together as living stones, and then the Spirit dwells in the church. Believers overcome all the opposition too. This means we're arranged by design in local churches. That's the whole theme of these verses. We're being built. Built together as a spiritual house devoted to worshiping God. And He has a purpose for us. And it's, it's a, to be a place where we offer spiritual sacrifices. And that can only be done through Christ. That's the only way they'll ever... Be acceptable to God. They're spiritual sacrifices. They're done in the power of the Spirit. They're acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. They're, they're truly spiritual only when they're through Christ. He's the mediator. And he says, you're a holy priesthood. This is the only place where this word occurs in the New Testament. It's, the, it's one of the foundational verses about this great truth of the priesthood of all believers. There's no, no longer any place where we have to have a mediator priest, a human priest that comes between us and God. Every believer has direct access to God himself or herself. Every believer is a priest through Christ. We come to God through him. We come and offer sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the priests brought the sacrifices into the temple. They'd carry up the, the sacrificial animal. They'd place it on the altar. Now, Peter's talking about these spiritual sacrifices in a spiritual house. And they're offerings that, that go with a spiritual priesthood. The temple's now replaced by the church. The altar and atoning sacrifices are replaced by Jesus and his shed blood. And the priests are replaced by you. You go into the sanctuary and draw near to God. That's the priesthood of the believers. It is precious. It is valuable. We all have a sense of God. We all want to know God. We all want to come to God. And Jesus has made a way. There aren't, these, these sacrifices aren't to take away sin or to gain God's favor. Not about good works or personal morality and holiness. These sacrifices that 
make us acceptable. That's not what this is about. These, these sacrifices are based on Christ's finished work and it's, it's the redeemed by the Lord who are filled with grateful hearts. And their sacrifices are things like doing everything for the glory of God, singing His praises, dedicating themselves to, to His service, doing acts of love like giving and sharing because it's a fragrant aroma that comes up to Him as an acceptable sacrifice all through Jesus Christ. Finally, in verse 9 and 10, you're a chosen race. Listen to all these these titles. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You're his, you're his treasured possession. You're the apple of his eye. Talking about the church, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A chosen race. It comes from Isaiah 43. Isaiah was talking about the nation of Israel, but Peter's borrowing that to talk about the church. And one commentator, Edmund Hybrid, says, because of its spiritual birth, the new race transcends all natural distinctions of ancestry, languages, or cultures. But the word chosen, the fourth and final occurrence of that adjective in the epistle, reminds us that it is the divine initiative that has made Christians a distinct people who no longer belong to the world. It removes all boasting and yet establishes a dignity of heredity that enables a chosen one to point to God as the father of his race. You are a chosen race. You're fitted together for a dwelling of God by His Spirit. This is the vision for the church that Peter had. You're a holy nation. You offer spiritual sacrifices in a spiritual house. You're a royal priesthood. That's the church of Jesus Christ. I want to just finish by making sure we don't miss. Here is our purpose for being. This is why we exist. God's people have a, a glorious purpose. Mike was praying for my sister, Kathy. She was in the hospital last week. I prayed for her as I started. And she really did just... We've had so many answered prayers this week. It's just been a great week. Mike was just thanking the Lord for so many answered prayers. And Kathy was in the hospital, and my wife Sherry was with her. And Kathy was just giving. The, the doctor was drawing her out about her life, and she was just giving God glory for what he had done for her. That's our purpose. That's what we do. God does these things, and, you know, there, there's a difference. Human destiny in this life and the next is determined 
by how you respond to the living stone. And then when your life is different, you give him the glory. And you go and tell people about how marvelous he is. How he's taken you out of darkness and he's brought you into his marvelous light. And he did it for a reason and he joins us together so that I can be here today and tell you about it. And as wrong-headed as it was to have the Indiana Jones theme song on the answering machine back in the day, there's something right about it. It's a glorious thing to have a mission. To look at a week like this that is going to be historic, where there's going to be a lot of confusion and lies all over everywhere, to, to know that a lot of people are scared just like we are, and they don't know where to turn, and to have the message of the gospel. You are, verse 9, a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, this is your purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. This is the purpose of the church. Dun, 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 dun. I'm sorry. All these lofty titles are for a reason. We proclaim his excellency. I'm going to make Curtis very happy right now. I'm going to quote Anselm. Actually, Matthew Barrett is, and I'm going to read this. Here's what he says about the Lord's excellencies, his perfections. He's written a wonderful book called None Greater, The Undomesticated Attributes of God. It is available in the bookstore. Supremacy captures the perfection of God's infinite nature. Listen to our friend Anselm. He's not my friend either, okay? So theologians like him though. And clearly any good thing, this is a church father, Clearly, any good thing that the supreme nature is, talking about God, is that thing supremely. It is therefore supreme essence, supreme life, supreme reason, supreme health, supreme justice, supreme wisdom, supreme truth. This is God. Supreme goodness, supreme greatness, supreme beauty, supreme immortality, supreme incorruptibility, supreme immutability, supreme happiness, supreme eternity, supreme power, supreme unity. And you don't have to end there. Each and every attribute, says Matthew Barrett, deserves to be called supreme for that reason alone. Our God is one who deserves our worship. He has no limitations. He is his attributes in infinite measure. Therefore, he is the most perfect being, something than which nothing greater can be thought. That's why the title of this book is None Greater. Something than which nothing greater can be thought. Now, we've received mercy for this historic week, and we have a purpose. And that is to proclaim his excellencies. The excellency, this is God. And we have the joy this week of drawing near to him and casting all our burdens on him and telling the whole world that he's taken us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. 
and we want to tell you about it. Father, thank you for the great privilege it is to be your treasured possession, solely by the grace of God. Lord, we are doing so much better than we deserve. <laughs> you, in your mercy, Lord, have changed our lives. You've transformed us by your grace. And this morning, we gather together as a local church with a great desire to draw attention to you. We want to draw attention to the living stone. We want to tell the world about our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. God the Son incarnate, whom you have sent to redeem us. And we are your people, Lord, and we believe and we thank you, Lord, that you have filled us with unspeakable joy. And today we give you thanks. In his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.